Better decisions, fewer regrets. You know, as I was preparing and thinking of this week, my, my mind kept racing back to a little side gig I do with ride sharing. So this last month, I've now done over 5,000 Uber or Lyft rides uh, in my lifetime that we've done this. And it's a great way to get to know the city. Uh, For me, it's a fun way to get out of my church bubble and spend time with people who are far from being in my church bubble as we do that. And as you can imagine, over 5,000 rides, I have seen, I think, almost all of it. I'm sure there's more yet to be seen and experienced, but it's been such a wide range, right? I've given rides to multi-millionaires, local celebrities, Coach Stoops and his wife. I've had the privilege of a couple different times. I've, I've picked people up on their first day of being released from jail and bringing them back. I mean, it has been a range of experiences that I have done. And as I give people rides, the later on in the evening, especially towards some of the Fridays and Saturdays and, and Thursday nights, I am reminded this, that always when I'm picking people up, I'm not always picking them up at their best right? There's a reason you have called me to get you home uh, in that moment. And the one reason that is pretty consistent over and over and over why you're calling me is, uh, hasn't changed over the years. It's been issues of simply this, you know, liquid courage that you may have, right? The fire water, the hooch, the, uh, the redneck wine, right? Alcohol tends to be a common theme uh, as we roll through these things. And I just hear people say all the time, because it's amazing what people say and think when they're in your backseat. You're like, hey, man, I just love the drink because, man, I'm just more confident. I'm more bold. I'm a better version of me, right? Uh, It brings out the real me. I keep thinking, what happens if you're a jerk before you drink? If it's enhancing it, I don't think this is a positive thing. But it just brings out the real me. And so that's the story at 10 o'clock when I'm dropping them off. They've had their pre-buzz. They are ready to party. A few hours later, we pick them up at about one, and uh, the story has changed, right? The drama <laughs> has greatly increased. Uh, the regret over the last few hours has been experienced in different ways there. Uh, there have been relationships that have been strained over the last couple hours, and again, regret is the thing that seems to hit. And if it hadn't hit you that night, it's going to hit some of them really strong the next morning, I'm sure. And most of you know this is true, right? You, let's be honest, you've either experienced that firsthand or you've heard all of the stories on Monday about all the things that have happened on the weekend. And in a college town, it's even magnified, right? Thursday, Thursday is upon us. And I have seen regret, listen, over and over and over again over all the things that happened at a house party that we were so excited to get to. And now a few hours later, things got out of control And regret is the thing that's there. I've shared this story with me as I thought about it this week. This one keeps coming back to me. It was a little while back. I picked up an out-of-town businessman who was here from the hotel. And he wanted me to take him to a a club. Uh, And he was a married man. It's a club that no married man, actually no man, should ever go to this club. All right? So we're driving, and he begins to weep in the back of my car. Now, listen, I, I have not told him I'm a pastor. I'm just a dude, a stranger, driving him to this place. But he's weeping in the back, and he begins to confess. I don't know if I should go here. I don't really want to go here, but I think I, 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 don't, I don't know what I should do. And then the weirdest thing, he begins to make promises. Again, he doesn't know I'm a pastor. He begins to make promises to me. I promise you, sir, if I go in here... I won't do this, and I think I'm going to do that, but I won't do this. And he says, you, I'm going to guarantee you I'm not, you know. And finally, I just said, sir, it sounds like, man, you've got 
some real, uh, some real hesitancy in your heart to do this. I said, man, we don't need to do this. So let's just turn around, let's go back to the hotel. I said, you call your wife, it'll be all good. See, he had this moment where he had enough liquid courage to get into the car, but the tension within his soul was rising up to the point that he is crying and making promises to a complete stranger because he can't put these two things together, what he knows he should do and what he's wanting to do in this moment. And he comes to a moment of decision, right? I'm either going to medicate and dull the tension or I'm gonna pay attention to the tension in my life and we're gonna turn the car around and head back to the hotel. So why is it that people who drink too much are inclined to make bad decisions and experience regret? I was thinking about that. Let me give you the science behind why, why this happens. Well, I'll just say it. Psychology Today wrote this article and this is what they say. Alcohol also increases levels of dopamine in the brain. And dopamine is the one chemical messenger responsible for sending signals of pleasure. When the levels of dopamine are elevated, it creates a high or a buzz that makes alcohol pleasurable to drink, right? If you didn't get the buzz, it wouldn't be an appeal. Back of the car, tenor, like, woo party, we're ready to go, right? Here's the problem. Alcohol also jacks up the amount of neuroephrine present in the brain. This neurotransmitter acts as a stimulant. Elevated levels of neuroephrine increase the arousal and excitement and can lower your inhibition, increase impulsivity, making it hard for you to consider potential consequences of your actions. Again, this is psychology today. This is not a, it's in a spiritual context. This is science. Alcohol also decreases some of the activity of the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that helps you think clearly and rationally and is involved in your decision-making abilities. When you drink alcohol, it makes it harder for the prefrontal cortex to work as it should, disrupting decision-making and rational thought. In this way, alcohol prompts you to act without thinking about your actions. Psychology today. Now listen, we, you know this. This is why so many people drink, right? For this very purpose. I, I want to live in the moment and not experience and think about the consequences of what I'm doing. As followers of Jesus, can I just tell you that God's called you to do something better than that? God's called you to something higher than that. Uh, our life does not exist and, and thrive around us having the ability to live for the moment as a follower of Jesus. God says one of the things is that you have an eternal perspective. That's what we've been talking about in the series, that we connect the dots that the decisions we make have consequences and, and uh, things that go far beyond that moment. So it brings us to our third question today of our six questions that we should ask to make better decisions and experience fewer regrets. Here's the question. It's a conscience question. Is there a tension that deserves my attention? Is there a tension that deserves my attention? And see, that's the danger, and I shared the stories of the story, that, that's the danger of alcohol in our lives because it reduces by its very nature, by the science, it reduces the tension in our heart. And when we fail to pay attention to the tension, it's gonna lead to decisions in a life of regret. It's kinda like the, the comedian Ron White said when he was arrested for uh, public intoxication, he said this, I had the right to remain silent, but I didn't have the ability to. You know, and I think that's really the case, isn't it? The lost ability in that moment to pay attention to the tension that he was experiencing. But as a sober person, sober of mind and, and heart and spirit, here's the reality. We, we have the ability to pay attention to that tension, but if we're honest, there are times we just choose 
to ignore it, even there it's there. And you know those moments, right? It's in the moment that you know something's not quite right. You have a check in your spirit. It's that moment that you have that red flag that goes up, and the question is, what do you do with it in that moment? Today, I wanna wanna share with you out of God's word a, a great story out of the Old Testament where a man is faced with this moment. There's a tension. Does he listen and pay attention to it, or does he ignore it? And a choice of that moment drives the trajectory again of his life. It's found in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 24. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. If you've got your phones, you can join me. Go to lexcity.info. I've got all the sermon notes and all the things happening in our church are there, lexcity.info as we go. And as we go there, 1 Samuel chapter 24, let me set the context for you uh, of that chapter. We've got two key characters. We've got King Saul and we have David. You may be familiar with them if you grew up in church. David, think about, if you remember David, at a very young age, a prophet comes to David's house. And with David's father and all his brothers says, listen, I'm going to tell you that God has chosen a king of Israel. And David, you are going to become that new king of Israel. What makes this moment an exciting moment, but also a little awkward, is Israel already has a king. And his name is Saul that he has. And over the years, while Saul is king, David's popularity begins to grow and increase in the kingdom and amongst the people. In fact, his popularity grows to such a high point, it actually surpasses the king Saul. When David kills Goliath, the famous story that you know so much, when David returns to the city, all of the city is singing about David and Saul, and they said Saul's killed his thousands, but David his 10,000, that it goes. And Saul's jealousy of David begins to grow, and it grows to the point that at some point Saul actually tries to kill David. So David flees the city as a fugitive. And as he flees, hundreds of young men join David because of his character and what they've seen God move. And so they join him as a fugitive as they go. So that's where we pick up the story. David and his men are in the wilderness hiding Saul and his army now turns their attention back to David and Saul's desire to eliminate David. So 1 Samuel chapter 24, it says this, And Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, and he was told that David had gone into the wilder of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At that place where the road passes some shepherd's fold, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now, I'm trying to have a a visual of this event. And I'm really trying hard not to access my middle school boy, but I've had a lot of fun with this this week, but I'll try to restrain myself. But here's the picture, right? Saul is marching with his 3,000 men into the wilderness in order to find David. Now, when one of the 3,000 men experiences the call of nature, you just keep on going. That man's got to do what he needs to do, and then he's got to catch up and and do that. Unless, of course, you are the king. When you are the king, it's a little bit different. It's kind of like some of you that are a little older like me. When you were on road trips, and uh, you as the kids were all piled in the back with no seatbelts on, you remember these kind of days, and you had to stop, but dad wasn't stopping, and you said, Dad, I got to go. I mean, you all have your own stories, what your father did, whether he handed back the can and said, just deal with it or whatever it would be. This is the kind of moment, right? But when the king's got to go, 
over to the rest stop, we stop, right? And the same is true here. When King Saul had to go, everybody stops. 3,000 were stopping. And the king, because he was king, needed to go somewhere private to do what king needs to do. And so that is the context. So Paul, Saul, Paul sees a cave and says, we're stopping. I'm heading up to the cave. Now, again, as he heads into there, as luck would have it, or as the sovereignty of God interacts with the free will of men in six cups of sweet tea, it brings us to this moment. And of all the caves that Saul could have entered, he enters the one where David and his men are hiding. It's a large enough cave when they see Saul coming, they move to the back and they retreat to the back shadows. How do, how do I say it? Now in a cave, the acoustics in a cave are significant. Now, I just leave it at that. But, it, you know, that's all going on. All right, verse four. Now your opportunity, David's men whispered to him, now is your chance. Saul, he's right here doing his thing. We, we got a chance. The stars have aligned. The, the, the men, David, this is it. Opportunity is sitting, or should I say squatting right before you. This is your golden opportunity, right? He's defenseless. <laughs> Caught with his pants down. Uh, a quick, see, I've had a lot of fun with this this week. A quick slice of the sword, and you are the king. This is what was told for you and prophesied for you. And David's men are excited because this is the moment. In fact, they go so far as to say that the Lord has spoke to them on behalf of David. Look what he says in verse four. Now, this is your opportunity, David's men whisper to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. <laughs> Quick little side note. Always put your discernment heart up and your discernment meters up when somebody tells you that they know what the Lord has told for you to do in your life, right? If it's not found in the word of God, put that discernment meter up. I always get, I always get very nervous when people throw this out very easily and flippantly. Well, the Lord told me. You ever experienced those kind of moments? And what's always interesting is the Lord seems to always tell them exactly what they wanted to do in the first place on there, all right? So this is what happens in the cave, right? The Lord's, David's men are excited, but they hyper-spiritualize the moment to even speak an untruth. The Lord never said that to David, but this is what we want, and so we're gonna say the Lord said that. So David, in this moment, can you imagine, Saul's there, he's quietly creeping acoustics. I don't know how quiet he had to be. And he's there. He begins to reach down and he grabs his knife out for this moment. And just within these few seconds that are happening, there becomes a tension. He feels it. A check in his spirit. And what I love about David is that he pays attention to that tension. Go on to, to, to the rest, last part of that verse. So David crept towards and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Verse five, but then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. And in this moment, right, as David's creeping up, there's something in his heart that says, this is not the time for me to kill Saul. 
The tension is there. And David does an amazing thing we talked about last week. He begins to connect the dots of the decision that he's about to make. He begins to think of the issues what we talked about last week. We talked about issues of legacy, right? What is your story? What story do you want told about you? Now listen, make no mistake, what David does in this moment is going to create a story and people are going to tell the story and and in his context, people are gonna sing songs based upon that story. Again, as I shared earlier, remember when he killed Goliath and he came back and the city sang these songs, Saul's killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Can you imagine the songs that would have been sung about David killing Saul while Saul was doing the business? I've thought of a few songs this week, none of them that are appropriate to share with you, but I was entertained by those as they go, all right? Here is David who faced Goliath face-to-face, one-on-one mortal combat as we go, and now the story is gonna be shared about how David became king by killing a defenseless man in such an inappropriate way that he took the coward's way out. I think David also realized this important thing as he connects the dots. He realized this, that the manner that he treats the current king is gonna be the same way that people will treat him once he is king. See, when you're with your friends and they get out of the car or they leave the party and you talk bad about them as soon as they leave, don't be mistaken that the moment you leave the car and the party, they're gonna talk just as bad about you because why? That's the context and the culture that you're creating. If you undermine authority, what's going to happen the day you have authority with the people that are under you? And David realizes this. Listen, if I treat the Lord's anointed this way and someday I'm the Lord's anointed, then why would anybody treat me any differently than I have in this moment? And the bigger thing that David says, he realizes that God has chose him to be the king and that God would place him to be king at the appropriate and appointed time. See, we always make better decisions when we run with God and we always have regret when we run in front of God or behind God. And David says, listen, I'm just gonna run with God. The appropriate time when God wants us, that's gonna be what happens. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul after Saul had left the cave and gone on his way. Now I love David because the courage of David and the boldness, he's awesome. Verse 18, and then David came out and shouted after him, says, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed before him. Then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say that I am trying to harm you? This very day, you can see with your own eyes, it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. And some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of hem of your robe. And I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. Can you imagine Saul, the moment he says that, he's checking that robe you know, he knows this thing is true. This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hurting or you have been hurting for me to kill me. Verse 16, then David had finished speaking. Saul called back, is that really you, my son David? Then he began to cry. And he said to David, you are a better man than I am. For you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today for when the Lord put me in a place where you should have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let this enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord 
reward you well for your kindness that you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king and the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now swear to me by the Lord that when this happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised this to Saul with an oath. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went back into the stronghold. Powerful moment. Here's what's interesting about the depravity and the heart of man and, and our own pride. Saul rolls back in. In chapter 26, a little bit later, actually, he tries to kill David all over again. And in that moment, David does the same thing, has opportunity to take Saul's life, but pays attention to the tension in his heart and spares Paul's life. The story ends with King Saul in, in chapter 31. It's a fascinating story. The Philistines are attacking um, Saul and his men, and Saul's towards the back, but through a pure luck or happen chance or the sovereignty of God, an archer fires a single arrow from a Philistine archer that travels all the way towards the back of where it was, and Saul's known for his amazing armor, but it pierces the one place in the armor where there was a kink. Of all the places, arrow hits. Saul goes down and quickly realizes he's losing blood and he's probably going to die in this moment. And so rather than have the Philistines take his body, Saul decides that he would fall on his sword and take his own life. So Saul dies in that moment and David, don't miss this, David becomes king without lifting a hand towards Saul. And David becomes king without regret. Multiple times he had opportunity the stars seemed to be aligning, but there was a tension in his heart to say, this is not God's design, so I'm gonna trust the sovereignty and the timing of God, and he becomes king without regret. Today, for us, better decisions and fewer regrets, it really comes the same way and through the same process. Here's the great part. You and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, have something that David did not. We have a better opportunity to make better decisions than even David did, and it's simply this. As a Christian, this is what I love about being Christian. Listen, not only do I have forgiveness for my sins, not only do I have the free promise of eternity in heaven, which is amazing, but here on this earth, I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in my life. And Jesus says, when you place your faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit comes within you, listen to what Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 14 I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. Jesus says, listen, when the Holy Spirit is in your life, it will remind you. It will put in your heart a tension to pay attention to. When you have these, should I do this or should I, you have that check in your spirit, he says, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, 27. But you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you so that you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything that you need to know. And what he teaches you is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. Romans chapter eight, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That the leading of the Holy Spirit in our life, right, our, our conscience, the tension that we're talking about today. And here's what's so amazing about the Holy Spirit in our lives and, and that conscience that's there. Our, our tension is like a muscle, right? 
And I always view it a, a picture of a heart in a, in a triangle in the middle. And because it's a muscle, the more we use it, the stronger it gets and the points get stronger. And so when that triangle turns in our hearts, it, it, it pricks, it hurts. It, it, there's a pain that's here. That's why as a young child, if you remember the first time you got caught for something, you nearly cried, you felt so bad. That's the spirit of God in your heart, the Holy Spirit. And those edges are very sharp. Here's the challenge. It's also like a muscle. If you do not pay attention to the tension and it becomes the edges, we get rounded off and pretty soon that thing begins to spin and it's never tugging on the side of your heart. I think the most dangerous thing for a follower of Christ is when we have the ability to sin regularly and habitually and it doesn't bother us at all. But the Holy Spirit, the more we listen, the more attentive we come, the louder the voice is. The more we ignore it, the quieter the voice becomes in our heart. And so that's the, the, the challenge for us as we go. But all of that starts with a relationship with Jesus, right? It's the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives that only comes when you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I would ask you today, as we think about this third question of conscience, do you have that kind of personal relationship with Jesus Christ? See, in the absence of that, the only voice on your shoulder is your own voice. And we talked about that week one, the danger of that, because the easiest person to deceive is the person in the mirror. The beauty of having the Holy Spirit in your life is there's a voice that's not yours, your conscience that speaks to you. And I just wanna encourage you today, if you have questions about that, if you have never experienced that kind of a relationship with Jesus Christ, listen, right at the end of our service, we've got a prayer team that'll be right down here. And the greatest joy in their life would be to share with you how you can have that kind of relationship with Jesus. So if that's you today, I want to encourage you just at the end of our service, just take time, come down, ask questions. It's a safe place to be able to do that. But for those of us that have a relationship with Christ, here's the question for us this morning. Have you created enough silence and pause in your life to ever be able to pay attention to the tension of the Holy Spirit in your life? See, in our busyness and craziness, my, my concern is we just fly through, there's so much noise, it's hard to hear the voice of God in your life. So how do I grow in that so the voice of God speaks louder to me? It's really through some basic but so powerful disciplines, right? It, it's time of prayer and meditation where I'm just quiet before the Lord. God, as I start this Monday off in my week, just speak to me if there's anything I need to hear. It, it's time in, in God's word that reaffirms the things that God is telling us. It's just those daily disciplines that make enough pause and enough time to slow down that you can hear God even speak within your life. You know, we gather on Sunday mornings here, and whether it be online or in person, and a good chunk of our service, an hour that we spend together, we spend a good chunk just in times of worship. I wanna remind you again why we do that. Not only is it a time for us, to, for affirmation to the Lord and things that he's done, but it's also time for God to speak to you. It's one of the few times in your week you have a moment of pause. A few times in your week that you just have a, an opportunity to reflect and focus on it. I think this morning or this evening or whenever you're watching this, I think for the many of you online, isn't it? I think one of the greatest challenges to online is in the midst of all these things, it is so easy to be distracted. It is so easy to multitask that if we're not careful, we're missing these moments of pause and we're missing these moments just to be quiet and still before the Lord. It's a discipline that we do. 
So this morning, uh, during our time here, we're going to close out our time in just a few moments in some worship. And the goal of that is really just to create a moment of pause for a moment of stillness, a moment of just quiet with just you in the Lord or in these times. It's a moment for you to just pay attention to the tension that may be in your heart and to let the Spirit of God speak to you. So if you would, just bow your heads with me this morning. And this is the awkward thing we don't experience a lot in our lives. Stillness. Quiet. Father, today we are so grateful for the example of men and women who have gone before. The example of men and women who, in a moment of decision, I thank you for the example of David in a split second paid attention to that tension within his heart that even though all of the circumstances and everybody around him was cheering him on for this that he was willing to let the spirit of God speak truth and to move him in an opposite direction and that single decision in that moment led to a life, led to a kingship without regret. So Lord, today I just pray for my brothers and sisters. There are things in their lives right now. For some, there's a tension that the moment I started this, that your spirit brought to their hearts and to their minds. And so Lord, I ask that over these next few moments and minutes that we would pay attention. God, that we would respond, that we'd have the courage to make better decisions with fewer regrets. In your name we pray, amen.